Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to save the world from total annihilation again. So here we are, man. We're talking, um, boy, we're talking Mission Impossible. We're talking Mission Impossible Fallout, which came out in 2018. Yes, that's correct. Directed by, of course, Mr. Christopher McQuarrie. And I got to tell you guys, I was excited. We had two, we have two, I guess you'd say, action, action-packed sort of just straight popcorn movies back-to-back here with this and The Meg. Now, The Meg is, requires a lot less paying attention. It requires a lot less thought than Mission Impossible Fallout did, and that is surely the truth. I will say this, though. You know, with Mission Impossible, I was, I was just kind of flipping through. You know, I haven't seen them all, which is a bit of a bummer as I'm going to be talking about Mission Impossible, um, what I think about the franchise in general, and um, just taking it from there. So what's crazy to think about is that Mission Impossible, the film series with Tom Cruise, started in 1996. Jesus, right? 22 years ago, if my math serves. That's pretty wild to think about. Mission Impossible has been around for 22 years. And they've made one, let's see, they made Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible 2, 3, then they did Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. They stopped giving them numbers, I guess. Um, And that's pretty wild to think about. You've made six movies in 22 years. Well, Tom Cruise is the main guy. He's also a very busy guy. But just think about that in terms of Star Wars, the franchise, and how many Star Wars movies we're actually going to see over the course of the next 22 years now that Disney has them and they pump them out basically annually. There's a pretty decent gap between them with Mission Impossible. You have, from the first one to the second one, you have four years. Then you have six years from the second to the third one. Then you have five years from the third one to the fourth one. Then you have four years. Then you have three years. So they trimmed them down a little bit as time went on. But still, a pretty decent, a healthy break between uh, filming these. I would imagine Tom Cruise would require one as he is... uh, he is into his own stunts. That's a thing, right? Um, he does a lot of his own stunts. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of his stunts he does and what are stunts and what aren't stunts. But I guess when stunts are going on, I said stunt a lot of times and I'm talking about Tom Cruise. So that's, that's not a joke. I'm just saying. I think he does a lot of his own things. But he, um, one of the th- first things I read about this movie, what I thought was cool is that he trained for a year to do a Halo jump, which is high altitude, low opening, um, jumping out of a plane. So apparently he trained for a year to do it. I don't know if he did it, but it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, some other interested... So so what is a halo jump? That's, that's something I want to talk about. Essentially, uh, here's what IMDb says about it. It is uh, the halo skydiving sequence, distance of 7 kilometers or 25,000 feet, traveling at a speed of 265 to 320 kilometers per hour, was the last sequence filmed during production, but it was the first stunt design and required a full year of planning out. The crew had only a limited time window of three minutes a day uh, during sunset to film a jump because of strict air aviation regulations in France. It could only be shot in the Emirates. It took crews, Henry Cavill, the skydiving camera operator, Craig O'Brien, and the others involved a total of 106 jumps 
to get three possible takes. However, to rehearse a sequence, the crew build a custom oxygen helmet with RAF assistance that can be lit up to see a face and then also built one of the world's largest wind tunnels for practice. The practice doesn't end there. Crews and the other persons involved did five skydives a day and one in the morning, three in the afternoon, and one at dusk. Guys, that's badass. First of all, I didn't know Henry Cavill did it too. And I'm really starting to dig this guy. Henry Cavill is a bad dude. I really like him. Um, helps that he's devastatingly handsome too. Very, very handsome fellow. But think about that. That many jumps a day, that's pretty awesome. So it makes you wonder when Tom Cruise walks to the end of that plane and dives off, he's really diving off. He's really skydiving there with a skydiving camera crew already out there. Guys, that is super impressive. We just covered Collateral, which was 2004. Damn, 14 years ago. Guy's still going strong. 14 years ago, right, Collateral comes out, and we were just talking about it on the Science Fiction Film Podcast. And we're talking about Tom Cruise. We're talking about his, just his physicality, his hardcore work ethic, his refusal to compromise on anything being chintzy, right? Maybe a little dialogue here and there's a little on the chintzy side, but I think that's par for the course with these kind of movies. They're always supposed to be a bit of a clever banter that occurs, between some of the characters, typically the femme fatale and Ethan Hunt. But he can't be denied, right? You can't deny Cruz's work ethic. You can't deny his dedication to doing the physical things that he has to do to get the job done in these high-octane action films. And he does it again. He's just so good. And shout out to Henry Cavill, who was right there jumping out of the plane with him. Very cool, guys. So shout out for that. That is impressive to me. But Mission Impossible in general. A lot of people groan, oh, another Mission Impossible movie. Oh, groan. Oh, groan. But it's just like anything. You have a formula that works. You have a situation set up where you can have this recurring character and you can tie in these tiny little subplots across the movies that gives you um, an added element to the characters as the movies go on. Now, as I said at the top... I did not see Rogue Nation, which is a bummer because I know, I think her name is Isla, was in it. This connection he has to this British agent. Um, so I, I got to tell you, I don't really know. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, by the way, who's great. I love her. Um, Rebecca Ferguson is, um, is, the, is the woman who plays Isla Faust, I believe is her name. So sadly, I don't have much to say about what occurs between Hunt and Isla in Rogue Nation because I have no clue, haven't seen the movie. I thought I was going to get a chance to watch Rogue Nation prior to recording the Mission Impossible Fallout episode, but I was mistaken. I've been pretty crazy busy, as you can probably imagine, if you follow the rest of our podcasts or any of our social media um, with all the things I've had going on. So, that's what I'm trying to say. I didn't see Rogue Nation, so I apologize that I have no input. I have really no perspective on what that was like. So there's that. But I think we can talk about Mission Impossible as a franchise. We can talk about the film Fallout on its own. Um, and also, I believe our guy was in it before, um, this, this, this cat that I really like. I always forget his name. I always have to refer to IMDb, and I feel bad because I should freaking remember his name by now. But uh, the gentleman who plays Solomon Lane is played by a man named Sean Harris, 
and I'm a fan of Sean Harris ever since watching, I think it's the, I think it's the Borges. He plays this guy named Micheletto. It's like this uh, assassin guy who I really dug. So yeah, it was cool to see him. He has an unnerving quality about him, but again, a star studded cast, of course, uh, Wes Bentley makes an appearance and I believe, uh, I believe Wes Bentley is the, is the dude from uh, Westworld, right? Right. Is he from Westworld? No, he's not from Westworld. American Horror Story, I believe. And he's in Yellowstone, a TV show, which I hear is actually really cool. So I have to check it out. Um, but yeah, this, um, this movie kicks ass, right? It's fun. It's, it's bananas. It's completely and utterly unbelievable. But one of the things that I think makes Mission Impossible just so enjoyable is when you have, I mean, it, it hits all of your spy tropes, right? You got your, you got your, um, your double crosses, you got your setups, you have your gambits, like this thing where they capture this doctor and they, they pretend the nukes have already gone off. They pretend, um, they make this big charade with, um, with Wolf Blitzer and they want him to read this manifesto. He thinks he's watching CNN. He thinks he's in a hospital room and he isn't. He's in this total setup. The walls fall down. He realizes he's in a not, not in a hospital and they have, excuse me, they have duped him into giving up information that he wasn't supposed to give up. Just, just stuff like this is, is excellent. And you know, the, the action in these movies is always good. Now, something I didn't realize is that Chris McQuarrie, the director here, he directed um, Fallout, right? He also directed Rogue Nation. But what's fascinating about McQuarrie, we, we've talked about him before on the Science Fiction Film Podcast because he did The Way of the Gun, which we had recently covered. But let's think about the movies he has written or at least directed that Tom Cruise has been in. He wrote, he's writing Top Gun Maverick, he wrote Fallout. He wrote The Mummy, which I think is the Cruise one, right? Which, of course, I haven't seen. Yep, it's the Cruise one. He wrote Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise. He wrote Rogue Nation, which we've said. He wrote Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise movie. He wrote Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise movie. He wrote, what else? And I guess that's it as far as Tom Cruise goes. But man, I don't know anything about this. I don't have insider information on McCoyer, and I certainly don't have any on Tom Cruise. But I like to imagine that this McCoyer guy, who's done well for himself, he's a good job. You know, I believe he got awards for The Usual Suspects, which he wrote. Again, convoluted, twisty, turny plots. He's into that. Makes him perfect for Mission Impossible, right? But I like to imagine one day Tom Cruise is just like, I like this guy. Right, and now you're writing Tom Cruise movies all the time, which is fucking cool. Lucky you, you get to write Tom Cruise movies. And I don't know if you checked the box office numbers. I certainly didn't, but I don't think I have to. But I can assure you, Tom Cruise movies are crushing ass in terms of box office dollar signs. So good on you, Christopher McQuarrie, for getting yourself put right in Tommy's back pocket because that is a goddamn meal ticket forever. And that's not to say that there's no merit in your writing. Of course there is, right? You've won some awards. You got yourself put on the map. You then started directing with Away the Gun, I believe his directorial debut. And now you're doing all these cruise flicks. Hey, great job, man. Awesome. And you know, I like McQuarrie. I am interested in him. He's not typically blowing my mind, 
but I just like his approach to he 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 likes this. He likes these types of action films that have a lot of thriller elements in them in terms of the plot, in the twists, in the backstabbing, in the not trusting, in the drops, in the hacking, in all of this shit, right? This is these are exciting action films for that reason. One of the reasons you can, one of the reasons for me personally, I would prefer to watch something like Mission Impossible versus something like The Meg, which was perfectly enjoyable as a, as a dummy popcorn movie. But there is more paying attention involved in, in the Mission Impossible films. The first Mission Impossible film was so excellent. It was, it was ripe with betrayal and backstabbing and the mask, the mask thing Mission Impossible has on lockdown. That is a signature Mission Impossible thing. The masks, right? How awesome is that? You think you're talking to some guy and you got the mask on and they do this shit all the time. They're like, oh, we're going to put a mask on you. You're going to be a body, body double, but come to find out the real guy went and the body double stayed behind to trick the one guy that we know is a bad guy. Just that kind of shit is really cool. And when the action pops off, it really, it really pops off. It's exciting. It's over the top. It's fun. It's wildly unbelievable. There are moments, there are moments in some of the chases, there are moments in some of the gun battles where you, where you realize that it's pretty plausible what you're watching. Um, but then there's also outrageous moments like helicopters crashing in midair and tumbling down a mountain and nobody really gets too badly hurt. And then they engage in a fist fight on the cliff at the end trying to grab the detonator. Okay, so look, there's going to be the over-the-top Mission Impossible action as well. And I think you would probably say, now, if memory serves, you would probably, you'd probably have to admit that that has gotten more ludicrous as the years have gone on. I think the scale of the big action has gotten bigger and bigger as time has gone on. But this movie has a lot of cool shit. You know, it's all beautiful people, sexy girls, music, uh, badasses, gunfights. It's, it is, it's pure fantasy, right? It's pure, it's pure fantasy. Have you ever watched uh, any of these uh, committee meetings on CNN? That's what CIA guys look like, like kind of faddish white dudes with jowls um, and, and the occasional sort of handsome, steely, gray-haired older man is among them. But rarely is it these, you know, jacked, beautiful men <laughs> in amazingly gorgeous, impossibly attractive women. So, but it's fantasy and that's okay. But I, but the action serves well and the setup is always good. And that's, that's something that I think is, is cool about these mission impossible films. And I think that's something that Macquarie is good at. And I think it started with the way of the gun and in, in, in the usual suspects as well. But he has, he has this ability to set up an action scene where there is tension beyond just the potential death of the people involved in the combat. That means that there's a larger stake beyond just those involved, the operators, uh, as it were. So maybe they're struggling over a detonator. Perhaps they're struggling over a code book, or they're trying to delay somebody before uh, a timer can tick down, or perhaps they're trying to get to the timer before it does tick down. And they just have this quality to them. Excitement, like, ooh, is he going to get it? Is he going to get it? And then the other thing that this movie does well, and, and, I, and, and the Mission Impossible movies have always done well, is that there are, there, are, there are always a series of setbacks for Ethan Hunt. There are times when he fails. And then in failing, it changes the dynamic of the mission a little bit, and then things get a little weird. 
that is something that I love a lot. It's hard to do that in, in, in movies. It's hard to, to, to set up this crazy convoluted plot that really needs to go off without a hitch. And then you have something happen where, oh shit, you know, the, the, the main guy failed. He failed. And now the mission dynamic has changed. How are we going to recover from this? Oh, bring in the other guy. Bring in the, uh, right, bring in the character played by, uh, God damn it, Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, right? Bring him in. Up the stakes a little bit. Oh, no. Alec Baldwin had to come down. What's that mean? <laughs> right? It's kind of cool. But I like this. I like, I like these movies for that reason. And this movie's awesome. It's, it's the, the setup is neat. It's, we have to get these. This guy, Solomon Kane, they call him an anarchist. But he's more a nihilist than anything. Um, he's, he's, uh, he wants to just bring it all down. Uh, the world governments have, have gotten too corrupt, too deadly, too dangerous. And he just wants to level the playing field. He wants to reset, right? He wants a do-over. He wants to start a new game, to use a cheesy gaming parlance. He wants to erase his current progress and start new and fresh, and, and, and with all the things that they've learned over time, all of the corruptions, all of the terrible things. So very cool. I dig it. Um, I like his idea. You know, he's going to set off these, these nukes, and in doing so, he's going to kill himself, which makes him very dangerous. So Solomon, Solomon Lane, I think I called him Cain. Solomon Lane is, is this character who, who is a total nihilist in a sense. They they, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not fit calling him an anarchist. It doesn't feel right to me because he's, uh, because he's aggressing upon many people, right? He's not, he wants to destroy it all. He wants to bring it all down, um, which, which may seem anarchistic, but it's more nihilistic than anything. He just wants it all to be done and over. He doesn't care anymore. Um, he's super combative, super aggressive, and he wants to, uh, he just wants to win. That's what he wants to do, but not even to celebrate the victory. He just wants to know in his head, he, he has taken this in his mind and his, with his fucked up philosophy, he's taken this high road and, and this is what needs to happen to fix all of the strife in the world. All of the pain that must be endured in the short term to have peace in the long term. That's his basic philosophy. Now, he also has no problem being at ground zero when these nukes go off. So Solomon Lane is a dangerous man because he's a man who outside of his mission really has nothing to lose. He's willing to sacrifice his life and um, that makes him implacable. He's, he's, he can't be reasoned with. You can only hope to trick and delay and defeat him because you're not going to, uh, you're not going to appeal to his sensibilities in any, in any way, shape, or form. You have to just win. And with him being somebody who's willing to die, it makes it a little more challenging. And that's uh, just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. The bad guy is willing to do whatever it takes to win. Um, and we just have these series of really cool action scenes. We have these series of strung together chases. I mean, you have helicopter chases, car chases, motorcycle chases. You have great hand-to-hand. Uh, in the early part of the movie, when they're going after this guy, um, again, and I'm not going to get into plot specifics because it's Mission Impossible and I didn't take that many notes. I'm not going to, uh, we're not going to talk about what's the plot, how does it all break down, what are all the betrayals. You'll have to actually watch the movie for that. So don't worry, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. But 
there is this great moment in the men's room of this club in France, and they get into a fist fight with this guy who is a martial arts expert. And it's Henry Cavill as August Walker and Tom Cruise, of course, as Ethan Hunt. And they're fighting this dude. And this dude is kicking their ass. But the fighting is so awesome. It's so intense, so violent. I can only imagine how many, how much training it must have taken for this fight to go down. And uh, it's perfect. It's this really sterile-looking bathroom. And the plan is to inject this guy. When he's down, Ethan's going to replace him. Um, in, 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 in August Walker, the Henry Cavill character. So, so quick setup. Um, I'll give you a little. August Walker works for the CIA. He is there to keep an eye on Hunt because of what's going on with this Solomon Lane guy who's this big-time criminal that every government is interested in. And essentially, he is there to ensure things go down in the American interests. But he is, quote, the hammer. And Ethan Hunt is the scalpel. And obviously, Henry Cavill being this big, strong, strapping man is perfect to be the hammer. And it's cool to watch the difference throughout the film in the two men. The differences between Ethan Hunt and August Walker become very apparent. And they're perfectly encapsulated in the performances by the men. Tom Cruise, a little smaller, a little slicker, still has some brute force. Henry Cavill, big, strapping, strong, and obvious. And boy, they have very different approaches to their missions, and it's awesome. And it plays out in not just their attitude and the way they talk, but in the way they go about things, in the way they, in, in a way they interact with each other, and the way they go about trying to get the job done. Uh, of course, Tom Cruise's character in Hunt always has regard for life, whereas Cavill's Walker has less regard for life. And we see how that conflict plays out across the various missions they have to do to ultimately uh, win or lose at the end to Solomon Lane. Now, I'll tell you this. Here's a spoiler. There's going to be some more Mission Impossible movies, okay? <laughs> I'm not telling you if Hunt wins or loses. I'm just going to tell you, yeah, there's going to be more. So don't worry. You're going to get some more Mission Impossible. But just so many action scenes, back to my point. Uh, and this fist fight starts, and it's just so good. And then, of course, we move to some excellent shootouts, this, these interactions with French police. And there is a moment, and, and this is something I, I really wanted to talk about since we started this thing. There is a moment with Tom Cruise, and it just smacks of all things collateral. And it is perfect. There is this scene where there is a French police officer, and she has stumbled upon the group. And she draws her gun. And of course, we know that August Walker, Henry Cavill's character, wants to just waste her. So he has his gun out. But, but Cruz, Hunt, is talking her down. So Hunt's talking her down, talking her down. He's saying, listen, don't do this. You're not going to do this. Anyway, she gets shot from another group of guys. I'm not going to say whether she live or die, lives or dies. And these guys are not Cruz's guys. These are bad guys. Four of them. And they have their guns loaded after they shoot her. One of the guys walks over to finish the, 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 the policewoman, the French policewoman, has his gun on her. And Tom Cruise, in collateral fashion, draws his pistol and shoots all of them. Bang, 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 bang. I think that's said too many bangs. Four bangs in total. And it was so epic. It immediately made me think of collateral, which was Tom Cruise's old collateral training 
coming back, right? Drawing quickly from his hip, his hip holster. He wears it at about four o'clock on his body for you nerds out there. Back of his hip on his right side. And he draws it, bang, 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 all down. And I just screamed, I howled. I rewound it, of course, because I said, ah, this is like collateral. Now, the gunshots sound a little more ferocious in collateral because you got Michael Mann who's really into the sound of that stuff. And it, and it was and it wasn't the same impact. It wasn't as impactful because we've already we know Ethan Hunt. We know he's a badass at this point. But it was just neat to see that. It was almost like a quiet. I, I like to imagine a quiet nod to Michael Mann's collateral in that moment, and it just kicked ass. But so much of this stuff, so much of who's after the target? Do we have the right target? Is it the wrong target? Who has the code? Who do you work for? All, all, all of this stuff. You will see the area of, of your ways when I blow up the world. And, and sniping and, and the double crosses and the double agents and the immunities and the and just all of this shit. All of this shit screams of Mission Impossible. And I got to tell you, I've watched a bunch of Mission Impossible movies. Some of like, well, not all of them, clearly. I watched one, two, three, and I believe the one where they're on the skyscrapers in China. That has to be, um, which one is that, guys? I need some help. Let me, let me check. Let me check the old Mission Impossible meter. Um, that one is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Okay, so I saw one, two, three, and four. I just haven't seen five. So I've seen just about all of them at this point. I think that's the one where they where he's climbing on the uh, on the building in China. Anyway, these these movies are terrific. They're fun to watch. They are a little outrageous, but they get your blood pumping. They get you excited, and, and it's enjoyable to watch. And I like it. One of the coolest parts in this movie is when Isla is fighting someone. I won't say who. She's fighting someone, and she's like trying to. She's using a rope, and she's trying to put this triangle choke on him with her legs, and using the ropes. And I just was like, "Yeah, man, cool. Step up your grappling and your fighting game. Get the choreography going. It's awesome. I liked it a lot. It was really cool to see that, and, and it made me." It made me feel better about her kicking this dude's ass. It, it, it felt more realistic to see some expertise, to see not just looping silly punches and, and, and awful bear hugs. I liked it. You know, I liked that. And that's something that, uh, that uh, these, these Mission Impossible movies have always done. They've always, they've always tried to take the action to the next level. They've always tried to keep it kind of believable. But listen, the movie's called Mission Impossible. Meaning, it's an impossible mission because it is quite literally impossible, okay? These movies are totally bananas. They would never happen, and uh, these people would all be dead. They wouldn't live and survive all the things they do. But that's not, that's not the movies, is it? That's not the cinema. We have to uh, suspend our disbelief a little bit and embrace these action films for what they are and just continue to enjoy what is being put out um, but I got to be honest, you have to be a Mission Impossible fan to be into this. If you, if Mission Impossible is something you're not interested in at all, then you can probably skip it. But if you like Mission Impossible, check it out. It's worth it. Um, the previews were always good. I was sold since the beginning with the previews in this movie and it didn't disappoint me. And, uh, it was cool to see Henry Cavill as a, as a, as a badass, you know, like a kind of a, kind of a rugged dude, not just squeaky clean, not squeaky clean Superman. It was different, and I liked it. Well, I guess that's all I really have to say about Mission Impossible, but it has all the hallmarks of a Mission Impossible movie, and it's enjoyable to watch. And, uh, and that's, that's all I can really say about it. It's kick-ass. 
and you guys should check it out. It's worth checking out. No question about it. Which brings me to, what are we going to watch next? What are we going to do next on the old Real Quick Podcast? Well, my good friend Jared told me that I have to see an impossibly bad movie. So this might just be a riff track that we're going to do coming up next. But, but, but guys and gals, we're going to watch The Predator. And I hear it's dog shit, so I'm looking forward to it. So my expectations going into The Predator is probably going to be dog shit. But I don't want to jump the gun. I'm just taking my friend's word for it. Uh, let's go ahead and watch the uh, preview for The Predator. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up and I catch what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? Tell me about the mission. Did you see anything unusual? It's above our pay grade. I get a cookie now. <laughs> Look, I get it. Something went down in Mexico. Nobody wants any witnesses. We need to know if you and your man pose a threat. We're rangers. Hey, Baxley, if your mom's vagina were a video game, it'd be rated E for everyone. <laughs> Isn't posing a threat. Kind of the fucking point. I guess it's Shane Black, but lots of killing. <laughs> the preview looks bananas. That joke rated E for everyone. Stop. Stop it. Oh, this is going to be a gem. I am looking forward to watching The Predator, and I hope you guys are too. So The Predator is available for rent on December 18th. I'm not going to be covering it until then. Um, so yeah, you know, I've been trying to do every week with the Real Quick Podcast. I just don't know if that's realistic. So I'm just going to play it by ear. I'm not going to make any executive decisions. I'm just going to, uh, to do them as I can do them. But I can assure you, I will be doing The Predator shortly after it releases for rent on December 18th. And I got to tell you, it still looks like a fucking shit show, this movie. And I can't wait to watch it. Boy. I'm probably going to be taking a lot of notes for this one, right? All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to me talk Mission Impossible. I appreciate it. I will see you next time for The Predator. Until then, check us out on the web, LibertyStreetGeek.net. Take it easy. vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to LibertyStreetGeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.